everybody, welcome back to the Mainland Podcast. We're at episode 24. I'm Michael Citro from themainland.com. Thanks for listening. And uh, joining me this week, we've got uh, a repeat of last week, Kyle Foley and Brent Petkus. Uh, guys, how you doing tonight? Doing not too bad. Thanks Pretty for having good. me back. Oh, good. I'm glad you guys are glad you guys are doing well. Of course, a 5-2 victory uh, does wonders for morale, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, can't can't be mad about a 5-2 win in front of the home crowd as well. Exactly. So, um, uh, we'll get a little bit more into the Columbus match in just a bit. We're going to kind of keep these segments shorter. We've got um, we've got a special guest coming up as well. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Let's uh, st- let's just dive right in to. Uh, last Wednesday night, uh, out in Colorado, all-star game, and uh, lo and behold, Kaká, our very own captain, uh, is the most valuable player of the MLS all-star game, scoring a goal from the penalty spot and also assisting on a David Villa goal. Um, start with Brent. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on Kaká's performance and the game overall? Uh, Kaká's performance was pretty, you know, it was pretty good. Uh, he's obviously surrounded by more star players, so he looks a little bit. Uh, he plays at a little bit faster pace. I don't think he plays uh, the ball with that much pace across to Villa, who scored. If it was an Orlando player, but uh, yeah, Kaká scores another penalty kick. Same spot he's gone all season long to the <laughs> goalkeeper's right. Are you know the shooter's left every single time? So um, you know it was a good performance by him. The game overall. Um, it was an exciting game. Uh, for me, it's not exciting for me to watch. Um, I don't know if it's kind of lost its 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 uh, kind of its luster for me because just at, at this point, halfway through the season, I don't really want any of my players playing in the All Star game. I don't want them to get injured. <laughs> I'd rather it be something at the end of the season where uh, we have an exhibition against another team. But um, all in all, you know, good good performance by Kaká, and the game was pretty exciting. You know, I don't mind if Kaká goes to the same spot if he's going to hit side netting like that. Uh, it's really hard to stop that, as you know. Um, so, Kyle, what uh, what were your impressions in terms of, of Kaká's enjoyment of the game? I mean, uh, typically all-star games are, you know, athletes kind of going through the motions, picking their spots and that kind of thing. But to me, it seemed like he never stopped smiling and, and never stopped having a good time. Has any player in MLS all-star history had as much enjoyment out of an all-star game as, as Kaká had this week with the with the experience he had? Uh, not really that I can think of, um, but I think part of that just has to deal with who he is. Um, I mean, if you watch him, not when he's playing with Orlando City, because typically you see him kind of scowling at the ref. Um, <laughs> but we do, I mean, we do typically... When we We're all him, doing that. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, uh, definitely, but we do we do see him more as a, a happy guy and a happy player. But I think the big thing uh, that I noticed, where you kind of see with his attitude and his enjoyment of the game, was actually the difference between how he was before the game and or what he was saying uh, more than how he was, but what he was saying before the game and what he was saying after the game. Before the game, you've got all the players talking about how you know we'd like to see an East-West game, and he's saying that. And then they go out there and he puts on an impressive display uh, against Tottenham. Uh, which I'm and and they played a great game and it was a competitive game. I mean I understand it's a, it doesn't count for anything, um, mm-hmm. but it always does when you win. So I think that was part of it, and I think you could see the excitement in him and what it meant. Um, and I think part of it might have been a little bit of a pride thing. I think when you come to MLS, uh, you're typically you know as an older player, 
you get that whole retirement label. And so I think for him to be able to show that they can still compete with the best, I think that meant a lot for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it really meant uh, the whole experience, I think, meant a lot to him. I I mean, he he called it like a dream come true and everybody kind of like rolled their eyes and oh, there's there's Ricky being Ricky. But he really did get a sense that this meant a lot to him. And um, it, it was great to see his performance now. Because MLS is MLS, I'm not surprised. Uh, I I said that I, I said that because a lot of us gathered to watch this game together. You guys actually didn't make it, but uh, there were about like seven of us uh, on the on the mainland staff that got together uh, for the game and we watched it. And I was thinking, yeah, he's got a goal and assist. He's probably going to be MVP. And we started to talk about it right there uh, before halftime was even up. But uh, you can make a case for Nick Romando, but um, you know MLS always sort of uh, errs on the side of the, the offensive output and when they, you know, give their awards. And certainly this was no different. About a probably within seconds of Kaká opening scoring, uh, Harry Kane came in alone on Romando, who made a great save. And, and he made a, a few really spectacular saves in that first half. So I wouldn't have had any problem with Romando being uh, named MVP. But it's nice because uh, Orlando City has had one player in the All-Star game and that one player one for one with the most valuable player trophies. So well done for the lions. Um, I don't really think we need to talk too much about the all-star game. It's just an all-star game. So we can move on to our, our next bit of business, which may require a little more uh, conversation. And that is that we heard last week, uh, you know, that Sean St. Ledger was waived. Uh, it came out Friday afternoon. Uh, Paul Tenorio tweeted that his, he had a source saying that, that, St. Ledger had been waived. Uh, we confirmed that independently with our sources, um, well-placed source that we have. And then the next morning, uh, it was announced officially that uh, Sean St. Ledger waived for a serious breach of club policy. We're not going to speculate what that means because it, it's speculation and it's worthless, really. But what I would like to to say about it is that the timing of it going into a Saturday game where they had just loaned out uh, two center backs to the USL and have not yet gotten David Mateos uh, in town, uh, the timing certainly was not ideal. And it's not something that the club would have wanted to do, especially at, at that time. Even if they had planned all along to bring in Mateos and maybe let St. Ledger go, I don't think that this was in any way, shape, or form the the way things were supposed to go. And... Uh, obviously, whatever happened was something that the club could not tolerate to the point where he needed to go. Um, Brent, what were your initial thoughts at, at uh, St. Ledger being waived? Um, I remember I like when I read it and kind of told the people around me, I was actually taking a referee course. Uh, we were all kind of shocked by it. We, we didn't understand this is a guy who played pretty well against Columbus in the Open Cup game, had that goal line save, has been mm-hmm. pretty much on the center back in the center back uh, with next to Colin for most of the season. And then all of a sudden he is being waived. So my initial reaction was something happened um, and we won't go into, you know, what we think it is, but um, it definitely was not in the, in my opinion, not in Orlando city's plan to have him out of the lineup or out of this, off the team. I think they were preparing to keep him for the rest of the season. And uh, you can kind of see that with the two loans, um, even though they were bringing in the other player, um, it kind of took me by sh- uh, shock. Uh, I was pretty taken away by it. 
now going into Saturday night, obviously this left uh, left a little bit of a hole. Seb Hines was was pressed back into starting duty. Kyle, you know, if you're like me, we didn't know at first that Connor Donovan had been recalled. It, that didn't come out. That news didn't come out till a little bit later. But uh, in fact, the club never said it. It was we found out through the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. But if you're like me, you're like, uh oh, oh crap, what's going to happen at center back if somebody leaves the game hurt? And Aurelian Collin has left the game with a hamstring injury twice in the last six weeks. So uh, were you a little bit uh, nervous about what might happen there uh, with St. Ledger gone? Yeah, uh, well, with missing missing St. Ledger, obviously that's that was huge when we didn't know Donovan was going to be back. And my first thought was uh, if Ramos somehow was back and available for that game, uh, then we've got you know we've got him on the right. We've got Turner on the bench, and we've seen what happened before when Turner came in as a center back, uh, and it didn't go over well. Until I watched him play in the uh, Chipotle homegrown game, in which I was very impressed. So I will say honestly, I wasn't as worried as I was first expecting to be, um, but I also wasn't expecting Luke Bowden uh, to be played up in the midfield. So I was kind of thinking we'd have we'd have a little bit of coverage there because we'd have Turner coming off of an impressive showing, um, the only player to play 90 minutes, which was uh, a pretty big deal for him. Uh, but we had we had him, and we would have had either Bowden or Ash um, either on the bench, or if Ramos was healthy, or just the two of them starting. So we would have had Turner as a backup, and so I wasn't too worried. But it, it did definitely. I mean, there's a huge difference between having a player like St. Ledger and a player like Turner. Uh, you've got the age difference, you've got the experience, uh, and, and that definitely comes into play against a team like Columbus. Uh, they're very in-your-face. I know Kai Kamara, we saw him get into his fight with Ash, and he definitely likes to get into the face of players. And so I think that may have been one of the things that worried me, thinking about if we were to put out a younger guy. Uh, we saw what happened with Ramos against them up in Columbus. You just it kind of gets on your nerves, and you wonder, you wonder how they're going to react to that. So I think that probably that was my biggest concern was who was going to play, and if so, were they going to be able to uh, withstand whatever was going to get thrown at them? Yeah, so you know, Orlando City comes home. They're they're riding a streak of four straight losses in all competitions, five games winless. Um, get this distraction with with St. Ledger being waived midweek and two guys that have been added to this club that have not yet arrived and all kinds of things that could have really created some issues in terms of distractions and, and focus. And all they did was go out and completely dominate Columbus crew to the tune of five to two. And really it was worse than that. It was uh, Colin with a 91st minute own goal, trying to keep the ball away from Iguain gives Columbus an extra goal. I mean, Laren had a, Laren had two and Kaká had one absolutely you know shots that would have been goals almost in any game but Steve Clark was absolutely spectacular in the first half uh in denying those three early goals. Um Brent did you have any idea this kind of a performance was coming after the the 5-3 loss at New York City? No. The no there's no way. Like at at first I thought as I'm watching the game, we let in a goal in the first five minutes, and I go, here we go again. We are down one nothing at home, five minutes in. And then as the game started to go on, they started to get, and this is probably the most important thing that I've realized with this new formation, this new way of their playing, they are more attacked-minded. 
they are going after games now. They know that teams are going to sit back in shells and try to absorb um, our attacking, but we now, with the, the formation being more tactically minded to the attack, there are more numbers in the box. People are getting around defenders, and there are more dangerous situations. Kaká has probably taken more shots in the last two games than he has in all the three prior to that because he's getting situations with combination play near that. Um, so it's pretty nice to see that Orlando, now that, uh, now that that formation is kind of, it looks a little bit better than what we saw uh, in the previous game against New York City, um, they're, they're starting to show a different wrinkle, which is a good tool to have because if you can still play your 4-2-3-1 and sit back and defend and kind of absorb and then, on the you know, and then another game you play the the four three three and be more attack minded. It's something that I didn't expect seeing. Um, it was great to see. It was entertaining. The but I will say the one thing that really makes a difference is being at home. That crowd, the wall, the ruckus, the iron firm. They were absolutely deafening. I mean, I sit across from that section and they were. It was loud. You could hear the chants. You could hear the songs. And they definitely played with an, the Orlando City played with an extra step behind them. Yeah, it was uh, in the press box. You normally can only hear very, very dull um, uh, amount of noise. It's it's really insulated, and and it you know, however they built it, they obviously built it so that you know noise reduction was a priority. They wouldn't hear this this you know amazingly loud crowd. But Saturday night, you could hear it. You could hear it, and the whole stadium was pulsating. And it's probably because of Kyle, because Kyle's uh, on the drum line, and he, he kept them going for, for 90 minutes. Kyle, what was that atmosphere like to be down in the thick of that? Uh, well, the craziest thing for me was the fact that the stadium, which is made of large amounts of concrete, was literally shaking, um, which is something I've experienced at UCF football games, but it's made to bounce. And so I think the craziest thing was uh, the fact that this stadium was literally bouncing up and down. Uh, and that was one of the things that uh, that Adrian Heath had, had asked. He said he wanted the Citrus Bowl to be bouncing. And so I think we definitely gave him that. But being right in the middle of it, I'm, uh, I'm actually right behind uh, the goal. And there's only one row in front of me, and it's just other drummers. And so I, I'm kind of in the midst of all of it. And I think mm-hmm. the craziest thing is just, you 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 hear to the left, you hear to the right, and you just have this ridiculous amount of passion to the point of where, and we've seen this happen in, in a lot of games, but when Columbus scored that first goal, I kid you not, the entire section got louder. And it, it's something that amazes me still, uh, being a part of it. The, the undying support and how the longer the game goes on, no matter what happens, it's just louder and louder supporting the team. Well, the team came out in, a, in an unorthodox 4-3-3. Luke Bowden playing left wing, of all places. And uh, I have to say, the left side was phenomenal uh, all night. Uh, Bowden had an assist on, uh, for a corner kick. Uh, Corey Ash had two assists from uh, you know deep into uh, enemy territory. Kyle Lahren, two goals. Uh, Brent, what can you say about Kyle Lahren? Right now, he's, he's just about basically unconscious. I Yeah, he he is he's getting his chances, and... What good strikers do is when they get those chances in the penalty area, they finish them. Yes, he, he might have he had opportunities to probably get three or four goals. He had that mm-hmm. first chance about two, three minutes in. 
had an opportunity to put us up one nothing. Um, but what he is doing right now is just finishing his opportunities. He's getting, um, he's kind of drawing uh, one of the center backs away to create space for himself. Um, if he can, I mean, he's le- leading all rookies. He, he tied the rookie record, the MLS rookie scoring record, with so many much games to go. And he, he doesn't, he trails uh, the leader for, I believe, in, in the MLS for four goals for the Golden Boot Award. Um, it'll be interesting to see. He's young. He, we, we know that he's young, and we, we talked about his inconsistency. So now that the goals are coming, can he, can he sustain it? And over the last few games, yes, he has been able to. What I'd like to see is just a constant opportunity. With the goals that he needs to do, he needs to score. So if the balls are played in and he's in a good opportunity, I want him to finish those opportunities that we know he should finish. If he, It's the magic goals, the goals like the Chicago goal, the goals from distances, when he gets those, that's that's just magic. That's special for him, and that's and he's a he's a special player. And I hope that we see more of it down when the when the season comes to an end and we're making a playoff push. Yep. And the leading goal scorer uh, for, the, for the league was right there on the pitch. It was uh, Kai Kamara, and uh, he was able to. Uh, we were able to keep him off the score sheet. So uh, great job by everybody. Kyle, let me ask you. Um, the defensive midfield. To me, they were amongst the stars of the show on uh, on Saturday night. What did you think of their performance? Yeah, I, I thought it was impressive, and I definitely think having uh, the guys out there that we've got, having Sarasco out there, was definitely a better pickup than uh, having a Kugo here. Um, no disrespect to him, but I think there's just a difference in play. Uh, and I know he had a relatively quiet night, but I thought he definitely had a successful night. Um, being able to keep our uh, our defense kind of protected, and then also being able to uh, keep the, uh, their guys from coming forward. When you have Kamara, you have Finley, you have uh, Higuain, you have a, a team that is uh, definitely really effective uh, at scoring. Um, and, and I think when you're able to stop an attack like that, you, you definitely stop it from the midfield. And with Serena and Sorosco, we were definitely able to do that and uh, I, I like having those guys out there. I, I like the acquisition. And I, I like the difference that it makes. I thought Aguita and, and Carrasco and, and uh, Saran all had great games. Um, Saran obviously gets his second goal of the season. Aguita gets his first MLS goal. Uh, really excited to see him score and then hug literally everybody he could find to hug. It was hilarious to watch him running around. And I talked to him about it after the game, and he's uh, through an interpreter because my Spanish is – probably much worse than his English, but uh, he was he was saying, yes, that his teammates have had his back all along and that he, he it was a special time for him. He wanted to make sure he celebrated with the people that have been been there for him and have supported him. So uh, kind of a touching moment, too. Um, uh, Kaká had, a, a for him, a pretty pedestrian game, but he's had some struggles against Columbus. They've done a real nice job defensively uh, against him, and uh, he was able to break free, got... Uh, an assist on Aguita's goal with a really nice cross. He set up Saren's goal, even though uh, Saren's first attempt, I'm not sure it was a shot or a cross. I suspect it was a cross, but it got deflected back to him, and then he shot and scored, so uh, that wiped out an assist for Kaká. But uh, the way he found him between uh, getting the ball between two defenders that were closing, it was, a, it was vintage uh, Ricky on that play. Uh, I want to get from both of you guys, before we move on and talk to our guest, uh, I wanted to... Uh, to ask you guys about uh, your man of the match. And for me, 
Uh, I gave it to Laren because not only did he score two goals, uh, but he was dangerous in a number of uh, other opportunities, and all night long he was able to shake free and, and get and create goal scoring chances for himself, and that's really a sign of the maturation of him. Uh, just deciding you're not going to be able to cover me. I'm, my movement's going to be too good. You're not going to be able to cover me. I'm going to get into to space and I'm going to create chances. So for me, it was Laren. Brent, uh, you go first, and then Kyle, who was your man of the match? Sure. Uh, I'm going to go a little outside the box. Corey Ash was probably my guy, man of the match. Up and down the mm-hmm. flanks, dangerous, getting up into the attack. Um, completed pretty much every single one of his passes, um, and he was dangerous. Assisted both goals, um, and what Ash does is he doesn't play a flighted ball in most of the time. It's usually two, three yards off the two, two three feet off the, the turf which is just perfect for not only Laren to get his foot up behind, but deflections off defenders. So I, for me, he was extremely dangerous on the outside, and I, something that I'm glad that another player that we got um, so that when even when Ramos comes back, you're going to have both sides pretty dangerous, and you can put Bowden somewhere else as well. He brings a good um, depth for the Orlando City. Kyle? Yeah, uh, my conventional pick uh, is Kyle Aaron with the goals. Um, last week on the podcast, I, I had predicted a win, and I predicted um, a goal from, from Laren, and I definitely knew it was coming. Um, but, but I definitely think he deserved it for the way he played. But then my unconventional pick, and, and the reason I gave a conventional one is because this one doesn't really count, but it would be the crowd. Okay. Um, you know, And I said this uh, on Twitter after – uh, the ratings were out, but uh, I, I definitely think that was the difference maker. And I think if you take that crowd and if you take that Citrus Bowl atmosphere out of it, we've seen uh, consistently that it seems like Orlando is a little bit of a different team uh, with or without that crowd. And I think the atmosphere was definitely able to help keep that team going. I mean, we scored six unanswered goals, one of them on ourselves, but they were still unanswered. <laughs> so I think that that was a huge difference. I think Aurelian Collin just—he's a really fair guy. He wanted to score two, but he didn't want to make it like be too showy, so he scored one each way. Uh, well, he definitely looked like he matter. was trying to score. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely looked like he was trying to score that second one. <laughs> oh man! Well, he did. Uh, you know, I—I got to give a, a really uh, strong shout out to uh, man of the match contender Chris Nigita. I thought really played well in terms of breaking up play and and coming. What we haven't seen from Igita and Saren as much, especially from Igita, is uh, once you get that ball in midfield, is turning it into offense. And I thought that all three defensive midfielders did a really solid job of once they got the ball going on the offensive and getting forward. Carrasco did it more with his long passing. Uh, Igita and, and Saren did it more with coming forward. And I, I, it was nice to see them on the ball and become dangerous and allow uh, – the, the so-called you know more dangerous threats in front of them to draw defenders away, which gave them so much space to bring the ball up into the box. Uh, to me, that was a, a big factor in the match. So, uh, well done. A big 5-2 win over Columbus. The uh, Lions win the season series against a you know, team becoming a very strong rival. 1-1-1 uh, one, one in league play, but uh, also knocking them out of the U.S. Open Cup. That counts in my book, so it's a 2-1-1 one, one, uh, series for the season against Columbus, and maybe we'll meet them in the postseason. Who knows? 
So we're going to turn our attention to two opponents this week. And uh, first up is Toronto FC on Wednesday night, which would be tonight if you're listening to this podcast as it uh, as it you know premieres. But um, uh, we're also going to meet Philadelphia Union for the first time this season on Saturday. We're going to bring in a guest now to help us uh, talk a little bit about that matchup and uh, find out a little more about the Union. We're going to do that right now. All right, joining us now is Eugene Rupinski. He's the managing editor of Brotherly Game. Brotherly Game is, of course, one of our uh, sister sites at SB Nation. Uh, they cover the Philadelphia Union. Eugene, thanks for joining the Mainland Podcast tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So before we go on, I want to make sure that, um, you know, with the game coming up on Saturday night, people can, you know, know where they they have to go to get the news and, and to get your spin on things. Tell people where they can find Brotherly Game on the net and where they can follow you on Twitter. Sure thing. Uh, you know, brotherlygame.com is where we're at. Uh, you know, you can go there. You can find us through SB Nation. Um, on Twitter, we're at Brotherly Game. Uh, we're on Facebook, too. So, uh, you know, having that large digital footprint or whatever <laughs> buzzword they have for it now. Yeah, you, you're you're available and accessible all the time, everywhere. Yeah, I don't sleep much, so... <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> None of us do. Uh, so, Eugene, I'm glad you came on the show. I wanted to, to you know, we have... A, it's unbelievable. We're here in August, and we haven't met the Philadelphia Union yet in MLS play, a, a conference rival, a new conference rival for Orlando City. So I wanted to get your sort of t- uh, thoughts on... The season so far for Philadelphia Union, I know it hasn't been exactly what you guys wanted, but let us know what's going on uh, with the Union. Uh, what's going on with the Union is that they have been terrible. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's really no sugarcoating it. Uh, the team got off to an absolutely awful start. The uh, you know there was the whole situation with Rice and Bully, the the goalkeeper uh, that the Union signed last year. Uh, for no apparent reason, uh, <laughs> who has absolutely hamstrung the club as far as international slot, as far as money goes. Um, can't get rid of the guy. Uh, so, you know, ha- having that uh, kind of explode in our face, uh, you know, we've, we've gone on, on a little bit of a run there, uh, but have settled back into our ways. I think we're winless in our last five or so. Um, our only salvation is that we are doing well in the Open Cup. Uh, we've got a match Tuesday uh, against uh, Tuesday or Wednesday against the Chicago Fire uh, to put us in the uh, what would be our second straight uh, U.S. Open Cup final. We're not happy that you're playing the Fire, by the way. Yeah, you know, um, we're not happy about it either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you guys have. You guys have have a, a shot at making the playoffs, and, and can, you know have to kind of decide whether you're you would allocate, you know, do we do we start all of our guys in the U.S. Open Cup? Do we you know do we rest some guys? Uh, Chicago is nothing to play for. They're like us. They're terrible. Uh, so you know when you have a team like that, uh, it's dangerous. That's how we've gotten uh, as far as as we have and. You know, I'd much rather go against a team that's still trying to make the playoffs and, and doesn't have the luxury of resting uh, their their starters. 
So my first question is, uh, I've really been impressed by the play of uh, Zach Pfeffer, a uh, 20-year-old. Uh, I believe he's a homegrown player. Can you talk to me about, you know, maybe the future of the Philadelphia Union with, with Zach Pfeffer in, in the midfield? Absolutely. So Zach is the uh, the first homegrown player that was ever signed by the Union. Uh, he was signed, I think, at 15 or 16 uh, out of out of high school, he, he went on loan out to Germany for a couple of years, and this is the first year where he's been back and he's actually gotten some significant minutes. Um, he's still a little green, uh, you know. He's not as, as polished as you know some of the other guys in the field, and that sometimes it's hard to remember the guy's only 20. Uh, so, you know, uh, but I, I think that is the kind of model that the union is looking to go for. Uh, they've started an academy, a, a residency academy, the first uh, of its kind uh, here uh, right outside of, of Philadelphia next to where they train, uh, where they're hoping to get kids to come in at, at a young age, have them train, uh, you know, soccer all day, uh, attend classes that's, un, you know, under the tutelage of, of uh, teachers uh, hired by the club uh, to kind of immerse them in that culture, develop them here, um, you know, and and sign players uh, that way. You know, our our CEO has come out and said we're never going to be like New York. We're never going to be like Seattle. We're not going to go out and 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 just dump money on on guys. They're looking really to develop, um, you know, a homegrown system that that works. And I think Zach is the kind of harbinger of that. I think that he is the, the the model that they're looking to point at to say, you know, look, this actually works. We can actually get guys uh, from this area uh, to come up through our system and uh, and get meaningful minutes and, and, and do well in, in MLS play. So with the team sitting in last place, uh, not just in the East, but being the worst team in the league, uh, to put it nicely, uh, how, how do the fans feel about that, I know obviously Philadelphia has some relatively good support, but what's the general consensus seeing that they're relevant in the seemingly irrelevant Open Cup, but when it comes to MLS play, they're not really able to uh, to do anything? Um, you know, it's different. It's different than it was last year, and it's different than it was earlier this year. Uh, and I, I can't really put my finger on it. You know, last year, uh, you know, about this time, we were getting rid of, of John Hackworth, uh, who was the coach, and, uh, you know, the union were absolutely dreadful. Uh, Jim Curtin came in, uh, it took us on a, on, a, on a good U.S. Open Cup run, and, you know, that kind of gave us hope that maybe all wasn't lost. Uh, that kind of faltered a bit at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, it's hard going. I think it was one uh, eleven and four at one point. Uh, you know that that tests the uh, the, the resolve of, it, of any fan. Um, but you know they, they've come back. They've they've gone on another U.S. Open Cup uh, run, and, and I think the people here realize, the fans here realize that you know uh, this club has been not very well managed for the past. You know, five seasons, five, six seasons, and, you know, it's not going to get fixed overnight. I think uh, people are willing to give uh, Jim a, a lot of rope, a lot of leeway. Um, you know, he's the guy that they trust. You know, he's won cups in MLS. 
Uh, he's green as far as as being a manager goes, but you know there's only one way to get experience, and that's to to kind of do it. You know, uh, I don't think any of us expected the season to be as bad as it was. We were all very hopeful that you know with some of the new signings, uh, these guys were going to pan out and and the union would be a contender. It hasn't worked that way, but you know, again, Rome wasn't built in a day, and and you know you can't rebuild a club like that overnight. I don't care if you're Jim Curtin or or who. Yeah, Eugene, I've seen some uh, some of the games, and and in the past, some of the games, and some of the players there are, are you know pretty good quality players. Um, I remember being very impressed with Latou a year or two ago when when uh, he arrived, and and you know. CJ Sapong has come over and and has been able to add some scoring, but it seems like this team, even when even when things are going well, they're not really going well. I mean, I, I look back to last week with a, a, an early two two nil lead and 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 uh, uh, end up falling in that game. But what is it about this team that is, you know, the root of it all? Is it is it is it the talent? Is it the depth? Is it I mean, what do you, where do you see the problem lying on this team? I don't know if there's necessarily one root cause. I think talent has a little bit to do with it. I think that, you know, there are some very good players uh, on the union. Uh, you know, Latou has had a, a bit of an off year, but, you know, the talent's there. Uh, you know, Maurice Adu is a guy with worlds of talent. Uh, Vincent Noguera, uh, Chaco Maidana, you know, we, we have guys that have talent but, you know, getting all those guys on the field at the same time has been an issue. Uh, you know, lots of injuries have gone around. Um, you know, I also think that depth has, has been huge. The Union are basically, you know, a 12-13 man team. And it's very difficult to to win when when you have that kind of uh, setup, when, when there's such a gap between uh, your, your starting 11 and then your your you know, your first subs, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, as part of the rebuilding that is, that is going on here, uh, you know, they wanted to get guys in that could put together a a decent starting 11. And I think that they, that they did that for the most part. Um, You know, I think depth is going to be the next uh, kind of big hurdle. Um, Having guys that can come in, you know, 60, 75 minutes into the game and perform as well as, as you know, somebody who you start is always kind of a difficult call, but it's doable um, in MLS. You know, I think, so I don't think there's one uh, real cause of all this, and I don't think there's one real solution to it all either. I mean, you know, again, it's just going to take time. It's going to take patience, um, you know, trusting that, that there's a plan and, and that, you know, they, they understand what the weaknesses are and that they're working to address them. Excellent. So let's turn our, turn our attention to the Saturday's game. Um, sure. what, do you, what do you expect to see from Philadelphia coming into the Citrus Bowl? Um, and if you haven't noticed, the Citrus Bowl has been quite a difficult place to play for visiting teams. So we've kind of seen two ways to attack it. A lot of teams will sit back like a Toronto and just kind of, resist the pressure, and we've seen teams like L.A. try to come out and try to take the game to us only to get punished. What uh, what do you expect to see from Philadelphia on Saturday? 
Well, I think the Union by nature are more of a counter-attacking team. I wouldn't expect them to go out guns blazing kind of like L.A. did. Uh, that doesn't mean that they won't. Uh, but even if they do, I would expect that to be a little bit short-lived and and see them kind of then revert back to a more uh, counter-attacking uh, style, a more defensive you know, style where they, you know, look for the fast break. They look to intercept, you know, passes in the midfield and get get it up quickly to to the forwards to try and, uh, you know, get some, uh, you know, some numbers forward and, and get some good chances on goal. So with Kyle Lahren scoring five goals in two games, obviously here in Orlando, it, it's something we've been real excited for. What is, if anything, is Philadelphia going to be able to do to stop uh, uh, what seemed to be a really potent attack from Orlando lately? I don't know. I gotta be honest. You know, when when you've got a, a negative eleven goal differential and you've given up forty already in the year, um, you know, that's that's really kind of frightening. Uh, staring, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Kyle Lahren and a Kaka, uh, you know, staring at that and knowing that that's coming for you. Um, our only hope is that, you know, the defense uh, kind of solidifies. Uh, you know, Maurice Adu has, has played well, uh, but, you know, we've had a revolving door uh, at, at center back uh, aside from him. Uh, you know, Stephen Vittorio was brought in from, from Benfica at the beginning of the year. He hasn't played in... I don't know how long months on a um, on a hamstring injury. Um, we had Ethan White, uh, who's been playing. He's had some good games. He's had a lot more not so good games. Um, you know, we've had Richie Marquez, uh, who's a rookie, uh, played with Harrisburg last year, uh, come in and he's done well, but he was hurt. You know, he rolled his ankle pretty badly uh, a couple weeks ago. I think it was against Toronto. Um, you know, I think if they can get that kind of solidified, uh, allow, you know, the defensive midfielders, Brian Carroll and even Zach Pfeffer, who's kind of most likely going to have to drop back a little bit uh, to help with the defensive duties. You know, if those guys can eat up space, cut down passing lanes, um, you know, to, to kind of choke off any, any balls going forward, I think that's going to be our only hope. You know, we can't give up you know, dumb fouls, uh, you know, in and around the box because, you know, a guy like Kaká will just make us suffer all day. Uh, we can't not mark a guy like Kyle Aaron. You know, dumb mistakes like that have, have killed us all year. Well, Eugene, before we uh, let you get out of here, I, I, I wanted to try to get your thoughts on, you know, the key matchup of the match in term in, in your mind, what's going to, like, break it down both ways. If, if X happens... Philadelphia wins if Y happens, Orlando wins, and then let's get your prediction for what you think might happen on Saturday night score-wise. Sure thing. In order for Philadelphia to win, they've got to score early, and they've got to be able to retain a lead. Um, I know that's very simplistic, but the Union, can they're not a team that's built to come from behind. And, you know, as we saw against D.C. the other day, uh, they've been kind of shaky, even if they've they've gone up two goals. Uh, you know, if they can score early and and you know bunker down 
not concede a goal, not concede those dumb fouls, like I, like I said, not allow uh, Laren to just kind of go in unmarked. Um, you know, I think that would would be very uh, helpful in the Union coming out with a much-needed victory. Uh, in order for Orlando to win, look out for the look out for those mistakes. You know, look out for those those. You know, see if you can lose a guy. You know, if if, if I'm Kyle Laren, I'm going to be looking uh, to to get lost in the mixer. Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm you know Kaká or if I'm one of the midfielders, I'm going to look to to draw a, a dumb foul. Uh, you know, at the edge of the box. You know, 20, 25 yards out uh, to set up a nice free kick. You know that that's. Uh, you know why? Why work hard to try and beat the union when they're pretty good at beating themselves? Um, as far as a as a score prediction, it's not going to end well for the union. Um, God, I, I love this team, but they are they're just they're not very good right now. They've not been playing very well, and going down uh, to, to Central Florida is not going to be very good for them, especially with the uh, the U.S. Open Cup coming up. Um, I see Orlando winning big. I see him winning 3-0, 3-1. Is Tranquillo in the lineup yet? He is. He played uh, 15, 20 minutes or so uh, against uh, Red Bull this past Saturday. Uh, he looked good. However, he did give up uh, the, the penalty to uh, to Bradley or Sean White. Right Phillips, one of the right Phillips. I don't know. They've got they've, they've got all the right Phillips. <laughs> they do. One of one of the right Phillips. He gave up a a, a penalty to, uh, and that was the the go ahead goal. And uh, you know after that, the Union pressed and tried to get a, a an equalizer and just didn't. Um, he looked good. Other th- other than that, I thought he looked very good. Well, I think the cool thing as a blogger is you have a, a player named Tranquilo to write about. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> we've got Tranquillo, we've got Aristieta, we've got uh, lots of lots of letters. Oh yeah, you do. You know, and uh, uh, <laughs> I can't say even say his name. Aristieta. Uh, I saw a game early in the season. I want to say it was against Real Salt Lake, where he was unbelievable. And I thought, man, they really found something here. Um, and you know, maybe he was bound to tail off after such a game, but. But man, that was that was one of the things that stands out from early in the season. I was like, "Wow, this game is crazy." That um, that game was crazy. That was the one where uh, the the phantom penalty on Luke Mulholland in the box. Yeah. Even yes. after the match, he was like, "That really wasn't a penalty." <laughs> well, I think if there's one thing we can take away from this MLS season is that a lot of things are not penalties and a lot of things are not red cards, but they're called anyway. So. <laughs> That's why that's what keeps it I guess interesting and unpredictable. Yeah, uh, that's that's uh unfortunately it's not endemic to MLS, but it it certainly makes uh certainly makes it a little bit more interesting. Yes, I think the 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 old Chinese proverb uh may you live in interesting times <laughs> um which is really an insult. Uh I think was I think was formulated when they first started to to notice pro referees. <laughs> May you witness interesting matches. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Eugene Rapinski, managing editor from Brotherly Games. Thanks so much uh, for coming on and, and giving us the Philadelphia side, the Philadelphia story, if you will. And I don't know if that's your dog, but certainly we could say this this show has gone to the dogs. Yeah, that that is that is my dog. He is uh, <laughs> he's in the proverbial doghouse, so to speak. After I get off the call. 
Well, you know, he just wanted you just wanted to get his airtime. So. <laughs> his uh, his fifteen minutes of fame. That's right. So um, so we look forward to talking to you again soon. And and uh, obviously we're going to have a, a little Q and A exchange between the two blogs. And um, you know, thanks again. And we'll see you guys on Saturday night. Anytime, guys. Take care. Well, once again, we'd like to thank Eugene Rapinski for being on our uh, program this week. Um, you know, it's uh, before we get out of here, we got still got a lot to talk about. We've we've got Philadelphia on Saturday night, obviously, but we still haven't even talked about Wednesday night's opponent, uh, Toronto FC, which um, this will be the second meeting, the first in Toronto, and it's the it'll be the second of three meetings, two of them this month at BMO BMO Field uh, in Toronto, and uh, the interesting thing is that the Reds, as they are known up there, are in, uh, well, they're not in the best form they've had all season, and part of that is uh, due to people missing and or injured, and, and uh, you know, Josie Altidore won't be there Wednesday night due to a red card picked up on the weekend, so we won't have Josie. Uh, probably would not have Michael Bradley, who's uh, picked up a knock. He is listed, I think officially he's listed as uh, questionable, and he's more likely to play uh, in the weekend. So they may give him one more game's rest. Uh, Sebastian Giovinco had uh, had picked up a knock, but he's been playing through it, and uh, probably an eighty to ninety percent Giovinco is better than most players in the league, especially this year. Uh, he has just been phenomenal. So uh, we'll start with you, Brent. Uh, Toronto FC winners two nil in uh, in early part of the season uh, here in Orlando. Uh, how do you see this game playing out in terms of? Uh, matchups and, and, you know, current run of form. Yeah, definitely. So the first game, which took place the Citrus Bowl, uh, Orlando pretty much dominated the possession, and Toronto kind of sat back, very compact, and uh, waited for Orlando to kind of make mistakes. Now, this was an Orlando team that had these people in the starting lineup. Donovan Ricketts, Breck Shea, uh, Okuga was in the starting lineup, um, Kevin Molino. Um, so this team, this Orlando City team that is now being uh, fielded is a little bit different than what Toronto is uh, has seen. So I expect a, a different game. I think Toronto at home will play a little bit differently than they did uh, at the Citrus Bowl. I think they sat back, whereas I think it will. I'll see them go a little bit further up the field and not sit back as much because uh, Orlando now as they've shown in the last few games, they're able to break teams down and get goals. So I expect, um, again, uh, a good a good match between – it's going to really come down to the midfield. Can, mm-hmm. can Orlando and Kaká and their midfield create those opportunities? Because I believe they're going to get them. they just got to take advantage of them. Yeah, in that first matchup, Javinko was kind of, uh, in, throughout the first part of the season, Javinko was more or less playing a midfield position, and now he's really a striker. Um, he's, they've moved him up in the formation, and you know he'll sometimes slot in behind Josie when, when they're both in the lineup, but um, for the most part, he's an attacking player um, who plays like a striker. You know, not necessarily like an attacking midfielder, and uh, you know his goal totals have risen accordingly. He's been just a phenomenal player. Kyle, how does Orlando City approach this match? Do they do they come back with the four three three and and put Igita and Saren and Carrasco and charge them with stop J- 
Javinko and let everybody else worry about, you know, the other players? Or, or do you think they'll go back to the four two three one? Uh, well, there's a difference between what I think they should do and what I think they will do. I think they should stick with the four three three. Uh, I think whenever you're able to beat uh, a good team uh, f- five to two, I think you're obviously doing something that's working and you're being effective. Um, I-, I just don't know if they're going to do it again. Um, uh, something there's this nagging feeling that they're going to go back uh, uh, to the old formation, and obviously I'm hoping hoping we don't because I want to see a win. But I I do think I do agree with you uh, in the key factor being shutting down Juvenko, and I think that starts in the midfield. Um, I, I don't think our back line has... I don't Specifically the center backs with Hines and Colin, I think they're great, but I think if is able to get to them, I think he's going to be able to kind of have his way with them. Um, so I think if the midfield's able to stop him and kind of hold him back where he is, without Altidore and without Michael Bradley, they don't have anyone else who can really help him and who can give him uh, what he needs to get around or what they need as a team to get around our defense. Uh, Obviously, I know they've got other players, but losing two guys like that and not having them uh, to back up Juvengo, I think that's going to make a big difference. Yeah, I tell you what, wouldn't count him out. Jackson uh, is a pretty good player. Uh, Shea Rue is a good player. And, um, you know, certainly playing at home, uh, they'll feel more comfortable. I think that early meeting... I recall they were conceding left and right, and they came into the Citrus Bowl really thinking we're going to play a very tight road game and just put guys behind the ball and try to counterpunch, and it worked very well for them, that strategy. I don't think that that was a very mature Orlando City team at that point. They weren't completely um, on the same page as a team, Um, and it'll just be interesting to see how this matchup plays out. I think that they might stick with the 4-3-3 because I don't think some of those players are available that they'd like to have to run the 4-2-3-1. Um, I don't know if Rivas is, is you know, going to be able to play on that left wing. I don't know that Ramos is back yet. And um, I think that certainly uh, it helped to catch Columbus off guard with that formation and those personnel. But uh, they won't have the luxury of the element of surprise, but I, I do think that uh, you can take the way they played as a, as a huge positive and maybe the team gained a little confidence from that. And I think also when you're talking about Giovinco and you want to talk about slowing him down, it's probably not a bad thing to have four defenders and three defensive midfielders on the field all at the same time. Um, let's talk about the goalkeeper, uh, Brent, since you are an expert in that area. Uh you know, clean sheet for Toronto in in the Citrus Bowl. How do you how do you beat you know Toronto's keeper? I'm assuming it's going to be Bendick. Uh, how do you beat him? And uh, what does Orlando City need to do to just get on the score sheet? Uh, yeah, he's been playing well of late, and for the most part, what Orlando does very well is get balls into the the penalty area, the box area, the, the goal area, and, and find dangerous opportunities. Um, where he's given up most of his goals has been on those crosses. He has a little bit of difficulty coming off his line and making decisions, um, which kind of plays right into uh, Orlando's um, style of play. So I think if Orlando just sticks to what they do best, which is getting balls out wide to an Ash, a Bowden, um, whoever's on the outside and, and serving balls in, uh, they have a good opportunity to, to, get those, to get that goalkeeper moving side to side. One of the most difficult things to do is to, is to judge a ball at, at, BMO, at BMO Park 
Um, it's right there on the waterfront, so if the ball gets up in the air high, the wind will just take it and, and move it all around. So he has experience playing that in that park, obviously being his home park. But uh, I think that his weakness plays into our strength, um, and more so the fact that we, we're now creating more dangerous opportunities than we were at the end of April. All right, give me Brent. I'm gonna stick with you. Give me your score prediction for um, Wednesday night's game. Uh, I see Orlando City winning. I see us winning two to one, and I got I'll get Kyle Laren scoring a goal, and let's go with uh, we'll go with Kaká getting the second. All right, that's a pretty safe safe uh, bet there for you. Uh, you're you're playing it safe. Yep. Uh, Kyle, your your key matchup and your your score prediction for Wednesday night. I think our key matchup, kind of like Brent was explaining, I think it's going to be what our offense is able to do uh, up against their back end and specifically up against their goalkeeper. One of the things we do is we like to bring in the ball. We've seen Corey Ash and what he's able to do crossing the ball in. So I think the key matchup is going to be uh, is the Toronto defense and is their goalkeeper going to be able to stop the crosses or is that going to be something that throws him off his game? And I think uh, if it goes in the favor of Orlando City, I think it's going to be a really successful game. And your, your score prediction? Uh, I'm going to go with 3-1 to one, uh, in favor mm-hmm. of Orlando. And I think we're, we're going to see two goals by Kyle Lahren, uh in his hometown. Uh which will be a big thing. I know that's been a bit of a storyline, but I, I do think that's going to happen. I think his his hot streak isn't over yet, so I think we're going to see that. And then I think the other goal is probably going to come from Kaká. I know that's kind of the safe pick because he tends to be uh, one of the guys out there scoring. Uh, it's him and Laren, So, But I think uh, two from Laren and one from Kaká and a 3-1 win, uh, the one from them coming from uh, Juvinko. All right. Well, you know, I think the big matchup for me is Damian Perkis, uh against Kyle Laren. The, the, uh, that that center of the Toronto defense against Kyle Laren is, is going to be a huge, huge matchup in the game. And can he continue to shake free the way he did against, you know, solid defenders, Tyson Wall and Michael Parkhurst uh, over the weekend? He did a good job of getting away from them, creating space and uh, scoring goals. So that that to me is a big matchup. My prediction, I'm going to be the stick in the mud and say it's a 2-2 draw. And the reason I say that, this team, Orlando City, yes, they scored one themselves on Saturday, but this team has given up 14 goals in five games. That's almost three a game. And until they get the back line and the defense you know, batting down, I'm going to continue to predict they're going to give up at least two goals. So um, I see it as a 2-2 road draw, which is not the worst thing in the world. Got to get points on the road and win your home games uh, the rest of the way out to make the playoffs. So that's that's my take on it. Getting back to the Philadelphia Union on Saturday. Uh, Brent, your your key matchup and your, your score prediction for Saturday night. I think the, the key matchup is going to be Gaka versus Marisa Du in that midfield, whether or not they're able to keep Gaka from moving the ball forward and distributing it across the Citrus Bowl pitch. I think Marisa Du and the, the, and the rest of the midfielders for Philadelphia Union, they need to really, really bunker down and make sure that he is not affected because we have seen many times if Kaká is off his game and he's not able to get the good touches, Orlando City tends to not play well um, and they get they get kind of put back. 
I also wouldn't. I probably would see them play a more physical game because when they're more teams have been more physical against Orlando, they've had success with uh, Orlando losing their cool. So that's those are kind of the two things that I would look for if I was a Philadelphia Union for them to move forward and and get a result on the road. Mm-hmm. Your score? My score. It's. I think this is a trap game for Orlando City. Uh, the game after this is a nationally televised game against Seattle. So I I, I honestly think that this is where Orlando gets trapped. Um, it's going to be a tie, one-one, um, with um, with Colin on a on a corner kick getting the goal. Okay, uh, Kyle, what uh, what's your key matchup against the Union, and who what uh, what's your score? Who scores the goals? I think the key matchup is going to be between Kyle Laren and their back line. Uh, when we had our guest on for the brotherly game, one of the things he was talking about was the the key mistakes that they'll make, and one of the things I think that they're going to make. Um, is letting Kyle Laren kind of lurk around there uh, and get through on goal. And I think that's going to be something with Kakab and not even just Kakab, but with Ash and Bowden and, and all those guys who are able to kind of service the ball in there. I just think they're going to make mistakes, and I think Laren's going to be able to get in there and take advantage of them. Um, all right. With, with that being said, my score prediction, uh, I think it's going to be 2-2. I agree with Brent. I think it's going to be a trap game. Uh, I, I definitely think it is. But I think once Philadelphia scores, and I think they'll score first, uh, I think Orlando's going to do just what we did against Columbus, and I think we're going to kind of turn on the Jets. I just don't think it'll be enough this week. All right. Well, that's uh, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to go with my key matchup is, is, the, is also in the midfield, and I think um, – Brian Carroll's a veteran. Maurice Adu is a veteran uh, for the Union, and I think that uh, they're going to try to do their best to, to force everything out wide. I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for Orlando City because Orlando City is pretty capable of building an attack from the outside in. So, uh, But I think that's the key matchup. Can, can they get some through balls in through the middle, or is everything going to be sprayed out wide, in which case then then it's just a matter of execution, getting the getting the crosses in, finding them in space, and and um, getting shots on target. So uh, I think to me that's the big key. I, and I think Orlando City will ride the home crowd. Uh, and so you know, Kyle, it's your fault if the crowd doesn't get things going and, and get the team into it and avoid the trap. Uh, I'm gonna say three two, and um, I think that Saturday night is the time for Luke Bowden to score a goal. I don't know who's going to score all the goals, but I think Luke Bowden is due Saturday night. So that's my prediction. And there you have it. I think it's just about a podcast, don't you? Um, remember, you can uh, you can get all the uh, information you need at themainland.com, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D.com. That's like a lion's mane, not like Main Street. And... Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at The Mainland. Again, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D. Uh, follow us on Twitter, and uh, you can like us on Facebook. That'd be really awesome. If you like this podcast, you want to, uh, you like what we do here, please uh, give us a rating on iTunes. Please leave us some feedback. Uh, you can write to us and tell us things that you'd like us to talk about, and we'll be happy to oblige or answer your questions. You can write to us at themainland at gmail.com. So I think that's all the housekeeping we need to do. Uh, Kyle Foley and Brent Petkus uh, joining me this week. And again, thanks to our guest, uh, Eugene Rapinski, uh, managing editor from Brotherly Game. Uh, We look forward to two games this week. And uh, 
sadly, I was looking this up today, only five more home games in the regular season this year for Orlando City. So only five more times in the Citrus Bowl unless the team can get some points and make sure they get in the playoffs and uh, maybe get a home game somewhere along the line. Uh, so that made me a little bit sad. But um, until next week, for Kyle and Brent, I'm Michael Citro saying, Go City!